When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Travis Walton, author of Fire in the Sky and my experience as an abductee back in 1975. And you are listening to The Dr. Sky Show. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the exciting show that you tell us you like so much, The Dr. Sky Show. With great guests from the realms of astronomy, space, aviation and weather, and celebrity guests in the mix. The radio show, The Dr. Sky Show, has been in existence well over 10 years. And in that time, we've had well over 500 interesting guests from these realms. But first, I'd like to thank our producer extraordinaire, Richard Dugan of radio station KZSB. That's AM 1290 in Santa Barbara, California. Today, ladies and gentlemen, an outstanding guest. The author of Fire in the Sky, The Walton Experience, the best documented case of alien abduction ever recorded. And the reason that this host, Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, is not going into a lengthy introduction of our special guest by bio, he is well known, not only in the UFO community, but in the world community of an event that happened. And ladies and gentlemen, it's a privilege and honor to welcome Travis Walton, who I recently had the honor of meeting at a very special event from my participation in the Coast to Coast AM radio show with George Norrie. Travis Walton was one of the esteemed guests on stage in a UFO conference and conversational discussion. Travis, welcome to the radio show today. It was an honor meeting you there, and I hope the uh, same feeling was there from you, too. Thanks for having me, Dr. Sky. It's, it's great to be with you. Absolutely, sir. You know, I want to put this whole book in perspective, because, folks, if you have never had the opportunity of researching this man or listening to the story that he documents in a nearly 400-page book, you really should. And Travis, you were so kind to write in the copy of the book that you gave me in preparation for this particular interview, and I'm going to share this with the audience. Steve, great hanging out with you. Someone appreciates who really gets it, Travis Walton, and I do appreciate your story because what you're about to hear, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not heard this story before, and Travis, I know you've repeated this story so many times because it's so important, but I encourage people to get a copy of Fire in the Sky, The Walton Experience the best documented case of alien abduction ever recorded, which was made into a movie, ladies and gentlemen, in 1993. And the interesting part of this book that I find, Travis, is the actual introduction that's done by the screenplay, the producer, Tracy Torme, who I didn't realize until I read the book that that's what, the son of the legendary singer Mel Torme. Is that correct? Yeah. That's totally amazing. Travis, start from the beginning. Tell us who you are where you were, and let's talk about that amazing day, November 5th, 1975, which so many people maybe never have heard the real details of this story. Please continue and share with us this most amazing story that you experienced, something like unlike hardly any human being has ever experienced in the history of time and space. Well, you know, I was just a 22-year-old logger uh, working with a crew of six other men in the, in the woods, and 
uh, after a long day's work, we were headed home, and we spotted this light coming through the trees. When we finally got uh, to where we could see the source of the light, there it was. It was just a, a, a most amazing sight. It was just astonishing, the, the power of that experience, just seeing this uh, craft hovering there. It was uh, emanating sounds that are really hard to describe. It's um, um, a mixture of uh, really high and low tones. Same time, there was like some kind of an energy in the air, some kind of a charge. Mm-hmm. That, um, all the all the crew agreed that um, it seemed like something uh, was about to happen, some sort of a, a feeling of something impending, but for me, you know, my immediate impulse was to just get out of the truck and run towards it, thinking it would take off before I got very close. I just thought it would mm-hmm. be, you know, a response you get similar to when we see uh, unusual animals in the woods, you know, they, yes. they're on their way <laughs> for cover, but uh, that didn't happen, so uh, I started to become more fearful, as did the crew. You know, they were yelling at me to get back in the truck. And when I got where I was looking up at it at mm-hmm. about a 45-degree angle, yes. um, their their frenzy of calls and swearing and whatnot to tell me to get out of there and let's get the heck out of here mm-hmm. um, reached a point where the craft started to, to move and the, and the sound got louder. That's amazing, and, uh, Travis. You know, this is incredible. And I just don't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to remind people what you're doing there. You're basically working on the Turkey Springs tree thinning contract in this area in Arizona. Northern Arizona, maybe more specifically, you can describe it, the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest. First of all, tell us what you were all there to be doing. I mean, this was normal work for you guys uh, as what? How do you describe yourselves? Loggers, or is that a correct term? Well, you know, the the news media is unfamiliar with uh, timber stand improvement, so they just called us loggers. But, okay. yeah, it was a, a project to, you know, sort of clean up after the actual logging operation and and, mm-hmm. and remove the, the damaged trees, uh, you know, yes. due to the logging and any diseased trees, and, and thin out the remaining ones, plus... Uh, there were, it, the area was divided into strips um, where the, uh, we'd cut up the material and pile it in the opening so that it could be burned in the wet season yes. to uh, reduce fire danger, make a, make a sort of a break easier to fight fire at those points. Right, and people need to know this, Travis. I mean, if they're listening, of course, all over the world, that here in Arizona, as in many areas that have a lot of trees and timber, that this season, or just about any time of the year, if it's the dry season, uh, we can become a tinderbox, as we have, and you people see fires all over the country. So you're basically, what, thinning out so that there's a way to, what, if they want to do a controlled burn later during the wet season, you have all the tinder, you know, the material that will Or kindle. even if an accidental right. fire occurs, it, 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 it makes a place where it's easier to fight it, but... It's mm-hmm. uh, it's important. Uh, yes. uh, we've we got a major wildfire going in Arizona right now. And, uh, wow. Well, I mean, I just wanted to set the stage, Travis, because people may not understand what you folks were doing there. But please continue, because this story, going back to November the 5th, 1975, folks, 
as I mentioned before, is the best documented case of alien abduction ever recorded. Our guest is Travis Walton. He's the person who experienced this. And describe, Travis, where you left off. Continue, please. Uh, you're in this thicket of uh, trees, and this amazing craft is over you. And then describe what happens from there. Well, it, it got louder, and it started to move, and that, um, you know... Uh just was the last straw with my apprehension, you know, the guys mm-hmm. yelling at me to get out of there. Um, so I just kind of jumped for cover. And the nearest thing to hide behind was a log that was sticking up uh, out of the uh, middle of this clearing in a, sure. in a pile of debris there. And I crouched down behind there and uh, turned to run back to the truck. And I just felt this, shock of um, a stunning force and I didn't actually see the beam hit me uh, mm-hmm. but, the, but the crew described it in, in various ways uh, one, one deputy wrote in there that the um, crewman was describing it as a, looking like a long blue flame wow. and, um, others described it as looking like a, a, a foot wide ray or beam Mm-hmm. Or like comparing it to a bolt of lightning, a giant spark, or something. But uh, it was such a powerful blast that the, the crew uh, panicked at that point. I mean, immediately um, thought uh, that it had killed me. They said they were yelling, "It is just dead. Let's go!" And mm-hmm. um, you know, I've always you know pushed back against the criticism of the crew, you know, as being less than heroic at that point because. It, it was the only sensible response, you know. Well, absolutely, you know, Mike, Travis. Mike, yeah, Mike absolutely. was responsible for the lives of the whole crew. No, I hear you, brother. And let me say this: in adding, I'm sorry to cut in, but I just have to. I'm full of emotion on this. This is 1975, folks. And if I were experiencing what you experienced or they experienced, you know, it's some sort of stunning, like on the cover of the book. You know, people can get to understand what this depicting de- depiction is. Excuse me. It's this powerful blue light that to me looks like some sort of a laser of some type, but super high power. You bet I'd be running away from the hills. So tell us more. I mean, your crew is obviously shocked and panicked, but I want to hear what happens to you because you what you basically numbed out. It's almost like a giant taser. You you couldn't move or what happened? No, I, I didn't feel anything more. But the crew described it as throwing me through the air so violently that they, you know, immediately thought I was dead and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, John says, you know, my body hit the ground like a sack of meat, like there wasn't a bone in my body. Wow. And uh, uh, they went and tried to get help uh, from hunters, but weren't able to catch up with them and uh, decided they, you know, they better return and see if they could help. And, uh, sure. you know, Kenny says that his greatest apprehension in coming back was, not that the aliens would still be there because they'd seen the craft take off, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but what my body was going to look like. Yes. Uh, was I going to be jarred and horrific, you know? Oh, of course. I mean, it's just like looking at the cover of the book here. Again, like it's like a large laser or a taser. And from there, Travis, your recollection is from the time that that stunned you or actually took over you. How long in your mind was it before that you didn't next describe that you're now what? Apparently inside 
this craft? I mean, was it pretty much instantaneous, or to your best memory, was there like a blackout period, and then who knows how long it was before you... Well, I was unconscious, so I have no idea how long Well, then, there you go, Um, folks. Unconscious um, in the state, right. You're not seeing anything or hearing anything. The conscious period uh, was uh, brief, so mm-hmm. uh, I was missing for five over five days, and so uh, I have no idea where in that period of time was this conscious period. Yes, I would suspect it wasn't uh, immediate, but uh, after some um, time that led to a, a bit of recovery. Um, I still felt seriously wounded. Weakened and and emotionally overcharged. So in your book, I mean, that's why I'm recommending this. You know, folks, an open mind is, is so important here. And you have so many wonderful quotes in this book. This book, I must say, folks, is very, very well not only documented, Travis, saluting to you and the authors, but you go through so many examinations here from every side of the equation. But here's a quote about keeping an open mind when it comes to facts and fiction. And I quote, facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. The quote is from the famous Aldous Huxley. And I think it's so appropriate here because you know, Travis, I mean, you're the living person who's experienced this. There's people on both sides of the equation. Some will say, nah, that could never have happened. And then there is many, many people like myself that are firm believers that Indeed, this experience really did happen. And I'm not just saying that to you, Travis, to sound like a nice guy. I've always been fascinated by these subjects, and i got to jump in here. My experience with this for the audience is that way back when the Barney and Betty Hill incident took place, back allegedly back in September of 61, Travis, I think I mentioned to you, I spent time going to her home and listening to her story, because like her story, your story, there's very few people in existence today on the earth that he've even had as much detailed experience with the alleged, you know, UFO abduction experience. So carry on. You're now what? Inside this particular craft, as we describe it? And what happens when you awake? Well, I regained consciousness rather slowly. I was in a lot of pain, so I was in and out for a while. But Mm -hmm. when I finally uh, came to, uh, I I couldn't really move much. I felt really... um, just barely there, and uh, I, I I could see that there was a light above me, and the ceiling was closed, so I figured I was on mm-hmm. some kind of a raised surface, like a uh, you know a table or a gurney or something, which yes. turned out to be the case. And um, the the feeling of being injured, you know, led me more to the you know in in recalling what led up to that that. You know, I may have been injured in some way, and uh, just assumed the kid, uh, the, the crew had, had taken me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I could finally focus my eyes and see more clearly, uh, you know, I could see that this these vague forms around me weren't were definitely not doctors; they were uh, uh, these alien creatures. Wow, and that's a powerful statement, Travis, because. You know, don't let me steal your thunder on here, and I don't know how much thunder there is, because this story is amazing. It's not sensational, folks. It's this man's interpretation of his facts. And, you know, I look at the pictures here, and you you keep, you know, saying over and over throughout this book about when you're describing the aliens, the amazing eyes, very penetrating. But I'll tell you something, brother, that's pretty scary to me. I mean, I, I'm an adult, and I don't really like the word scary, but... 
these traumatic eyes, these used dark eyes, obviously, I don't know how I would even respond to something like that. I would think that I would rather just be knocked out, but I mean, what's going through your body? So much, so much adrenaline that you take a stance, like a defensive stance, if I'm correct in the book, and you know, you're, yeah, you're waiting, a, waiting. Yeah, uh, they were trying to uh, approach me, or you know, get me back under control some, in some way. But uh, I was, you know, it, it took me years to figure out that they were probably, you know, not menacing; that they were actually just trying to help me. But uh, uh, I was pretty combative at the time and wasn't well, having any yeah. of it. <laughs> I would be very combative because. Let me say this, Travis, reading your background, you're no, you're no couch potato. I mean, you're a motorcycle rider, rodeo. You know, you're a guy that knows the outdoors, hunting. So like any guy, and I'm not putting you at any different level. I'm, I'm just, well, I am, I actually. I'm just saying that you're a guy that if somebody's going to approach you with harm, you're just not going to sit there and take it. But let's go back to the description of these beings, because that's so fascinating to me. Small, but you described them as having like orange suits that if you touched near their bodies, it was almost like what? They were like like a little, little fleshy and no seams, no buttons, just like almost to the point like they were like, could they have been like robots or something? Who knows, right? It was weird. Well, yeah, man, I've heard all kinds of theories. I just, I just know what I perceive. Sure. I, you know, people say, did they seem like robots? And I say, well, you know, if you could... Create a creature that could stand in for a living being. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you had that kind of technology, I doubt it would whir and jerk and look mechanical. Mm-hmm. It would it would be fully capable of serving the purpose. So, it, you know, they look like living beings to me. Now, there's a variety mm-hmm. of reports from other people saying that alien beings are similar to this, and they call them greys nowadays, but... Yes. Back then, I don't know if they had such a term. They did not. They did not, which is amazing. So now let's go back to the movie Fire in the Sky, which ex- exactly took the Hollywood side of the equation here. And, you know, let me say this, folks. Watching the movie Fire in the Sky, I don't want to take Travis's thunder away, but D.B. Sweeney is, of course, playing you, as you know better. You were there through the whole you know, filming of this and the advisor on this, but... You know, Travis, I have to say this in all candidates, the last 10 minutes or five minutes of that movie bothered me so much that I actually don't want to watch that movie by myself, even today at 62 years of age, because the description in the movie made those aliens look out to be extremely strange, sinister, and you fill in the blanks. I mean, I think they took a lot well, of liberty you know, it, in the movie. It, it, it evokes the feelings that I went through. I was terrified oh. at their appearance. This was oh, yeah. totally strange and... and uh, mm-hmm terrifying to me and i too don't watch the movie you know oh yeah it's not a very friendly movie yeah i see you know i've been at vents where they show clips of it and i I catch myself not breathing you know well uh, of course you're the person that this is all about and continuing about you travis walton is our guest ladies and gentlemen he's spending time and believe me travis i really appreciate this his book which is really just a small part of this whole story but a well-documented book Fire in the Sky, The Walton Experience, the best document case of alien abduction ever recorded. Yes, he is the author. And let's get a little quote in here, because I remember interviewing this guy, like you remember, I'm sure. Dr. J. Allen Hynek says, and I quote, a UFO adventure story that has already become one of the most celebrated. I would recommend the book and read from cover to cover. And, you know, Dr. Hynek was interesting uh, for many people that don't know. 
He was also got a little bit part in the Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but he's an amazing guy. So you had a little experience talking to uh, Dr. Hynek, I'm sure? Oh, yeah. Uh, and he became uh, a staunch supporter and, and was willing to, you know, go mm-hmm. forth to the media and, and uh, express that uh, support and push back against some of the ridiculous theories that the debunkers were putting forth. Um, it's, you know, there was a whole onslaught of accusations. This ran the gamut of, you know, mm-hmm. no way this couldn't happen. It had to be, uh, uh, you know, a lie or a drug hallucination or... No, I don't think so. Right. I don't think it's a drug hallucination by any means. I know you don't. But let's go on no, from I'm... here, Travis. You're, you're inside this craft, which alone would be just so terrifying. You see these alien creatures, beings, whatever you want to describe them as, you stand your ground, and they kind of, what, scurry out of the room, and then carry on from there. What, what, what happens next, and what, what, what do you... Uh, well, I went think? looking for a way out, and uh, mm-hmm. it was uh, rather amazing. You know, I don't know, you know, I, I'm assuming that what I encountered in another part of the craft was some sort of control to operate it, but it's possible it was something else, but... Uh, it looked like something to either navigate or or control the motion of it. Could have been mm-hmm. just a some kind of a planetarium or uh, you know viewing station. Yes, but uh, in trying to open doors and somehow find a way, it was an irrational sort of approach to think I'd just open a door and jump out. You know. Like I could drop to the ground and be back in the woods. It was probably not in a in in still in the woods at that point. But uh, mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to do in my panic, and uh, that's when this other being came in. I mean, what I took at that point to be a, a rescue from some Earth-based agency, like the Air Force or something, you know? Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. this this. Guy, you know, I I stopped with the resistance and was fighting back, and and allowed him to take me out of this craft into uh, an, an area that resembled uh, like um, a big airplane hangar, hmm. um, maybe a part of a larger craft, uh, but yes, it was there were other. Uh, uh, disc-shaped craft inside this area, and uh, but he was uh, really hurrying me to a, another location outside of that room, down a hallway. Uh, yeah, where he left me in the custody of uh, some other human beings, similar similar mm-hmm. uniforms, and. Uh, they put me down on the table and rendered me unconscious. Some sort of a, a gas mask. Yeah, you were describing the book here, and this is amazing. They look like muscular men and women with extreme, how do I say this, uh, very definitive features, but obviously human in, in their appearance. Yeah, well, some people, you yeah. know, come up with the theory that these are really just the small aliens simulating some sort of a... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a hallucination or a mechanical device to mm-hmm. to get me to stop fighting them to, to where they could be, uh, get me back under under anesthesia again. Right. So their description, the description you have of them, as in the book, which does a great job, as you're explaining, 
is that they looked rather muscular, a man and a woman. And the woman in the book that we're reading here, the Fire in the Sky book, it shows some sort of like an oxygen mask. And then you say she or he rendered you unconscious. That's amazing. Yeah. So, Travis, uh, I'm thinking... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just curious. You also described this chair inside the craft. And then, to me, this is a beautiful part of this story because we love astronomy. So you're saying that somehow throughout this experience, where this chair, which may have been like a control seat with these fixtures like a joystick or some kind of throttle, you actually got to see the entire heavens from in there as if the whole chair was floating, as if you're outside in this big planetarium? Is that is that fair well, to say? Yeah, from that from that point of view, it did uh, uh, simulate the appearance of mm-hmm. you know, being surrounded by stars, and mm-hmm. it was uh, that's not what I was looking for. I wanted a way out. And uh, oh, you bet! I'd want to be out of there fast, like one, two, three, and get me the hell out of here. Of course, it wow. was it was disorienting to have to be surrounded by this star field that would move in uh, in unison in response to operating these controls and so uh i was scared out of continuing with that uh yes so then you see yourself in some sort of like hangar as if you got out of the little craft you were guided out by these alleged looking human-like looking uh, creatures or people whatever and then from there describe what happened from there i mean this is this is even more amazing as we hear this story well you know, I, I looked around briefly. You know, the the, the ceiling kind of curved down into one wall, so it was kind of like an arc. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yes. a light much brighter than it was inside there. It was rather dim and claustrophobic inside the craft. But uh, outside, it seemed quite a bit like sunlight. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was either fixtures that simulated sunlight or... or it was actually sunlight shining through translucent windows, not transparent. I couldn't see outside at that point. But Wow. We've heard this, uh, Travis, described many times by abductees that inside these craft, it seems as if there is some sort of a way to make solid metal, like aluminum, be translucent. And that, in, a, in essence, we, we've heard this before, but maybe that's what you were seeing. Who knows? I mean, thinking, traveling through yeah. time and space, you may have well had the technology uh, shown to you. And of course, you're not there to take notes. You were just, and I, I keep hearing this, and ladies and gentlemen, listen very closely to what Travis is saying. He is trying to find a way to get the hell out of there. That's the main theme here. You, you weren't there to take notes. You were trying to find, it's a human nature. You wanted to survive. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. I just you know, wanted to escape. I was in a, in a I was hysterical. I was just, you know, out of control with fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are people who, you know, act like, well, I wouldn't be that scared, you know. I just Oh, really? Yeah. Ask, uh-huh. ask logical questions, but uh, mm-hmm. you, you'd have to be there. <laughs> just watch Fire in the Sky, ladies and gentlemen. And not that Travis needs the royalties from this movie. I keep saying this again and again, and I'm not kidding. I've seen a lot in my life. Travis has seen a lot more in his life than I've seen with his. And we're here today to be respectful of his story. And, of course, the audience is entitled to their opinions on this. But if you want to really get the shockwave out of this, I mean, that whole movie, the rendition, of course, that Tracy Torme has put into on the screen, the screenplay by Tracy Torme, Fire in the Sky, 1993 movie, I would suggest that people see it to see what the version is that Hollywood's come up with. So ending this and moving on because of our time here today, Travis, then... 
Describe what happens because you find yourself later in the conversation on a roadside near Heber, Arizona, and for your recollection, you could have been gone an hour, but people are saying no. Once you're recovered by family, you were gone five days. That's amazing. Yeah, and it, you know, I was still, you know, in a pretty fragile condition emotionally, but you know, uh, the the the. Uh, the memory of what had happened to me, and then facing all these accusations, this onslaught of criticism was just ridiculous. The theories were you know, falsifiable on the face of it, and, and you know, all these debunker theories, in a way, wind up um, amounting to a, a perverse sort of endorsement, because by virtue mm-hmm. of the fact that they were all solidly disproven as impossible... Mm-hmm. Every way they try to explain it away, uh, you know, it just adds the evidence for it. And Dr. Harder made the uh, made the observation that if you had six people witnessing a murder yeah. in an American court of law, that would be sufficient for the death penalty. You're exactly and suddenly, right, and that that's without lie detectors. Mm-hmm. But when 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 everybody passes multiple lie detector tests. Um, Suddenly, that evidence isn't enough because it involves something so strange. Well, as you know, in a criminal case, beyond a reasonable doubt, right. And this is interesting to bring into the picture as Travis is talking about the debunkers. Another great quote, which is right in the preface here, and this one I quote, here it is, to perceive is to suffer, end of quote. That's from the great Aristotle. So, you know, not only are you going through the traumatic experience, your actual, you know, happenings there. Now you're faced with what? Because people could have thought somebody murdered you, and that was the main concurrent theme, I guess. Uh, how did you word, How did you handle this? Because now we're in 2018. It's a long time ago, Travis. I mean, it must have been some of the most difficult years of your life, correct? Yeah, it was really, you know, a hard way to go for years, you know, to, to go out and have people look at you like that and hear the rumors that were said. And absurd, you know, the sorts of claims that people would make uh, that, you know, uh, of course, one by one, you shoot them down, mm-hmm. you pr- disprove them. But uh, it uh, was, you know, really unrelenting for a long time. It, it it gradually became less and less common as the you know the weight of evidence took took precedence, and uh, uh, I think acceptance has grown over the years. Uh, to uh, in a worldwide sense, I've, I've given talks all over the world, and. Uh, much, much more, you know, the, the evidence is, is uh, taking uh, precedence over any claims to explain it away, that, that there was some seismic activity under the ground there, and it discharged <laughs> some sort of unusual electric I don't think so. that electrified right. my brain. I mean, every theory that you can uh, uh, possibly come up with was awesome. No, I mean, it's amazing, Travis. And again, you're a speaker around the world. You can go to Travis Walton's website, you know, directly by Googling him, of course. And our, our direct interview here on the Dr. Sky Show goes links and direct to him. But again, this man's not doing this. And again, I'm, I'm a defender of you because of what I consider to be my open mind. And I'm hoping that so many well, people well, listen. An open mind yeah. is the important thing. All I ask yeah. is... Yes. Have an open mind. Take a look at the evidence before. Absolutely. Absolutely, Anything Travis. Everything. everything. Hey, buddy, I'm in, I'm in your court, and not for any reason. You know, Travis is not paying me money to do this, nor am I paying Absolutely him money. This is, this is, you know, he and I met, as I said, we saw each other across the, uh, 
you know, auditorium there, and he walked over, I walked over, and I said, hi, I'm Steve, and, and you're Travis, and hey, this is cool. But let me say this, folks. Here's a book that deserves the open mind that we talked about here. And Travis, now let me conclude here, because I only have a few more minutes. I want to get your take on this. Having had one of the most ex- amazing experiences in the world that probably very few human beings have ever had, and the book describes the details greater than this interview, What's your take on life in the universe, the probability of this existing, and from your chair, who and where do you think these beings were from? I mean, they never spoke with you once, no telepathic communication whatsoever. What's your take on the universe filled with life? Where do you think this particular incident and these beings came from? Any, any conclusion to that? Well, you know, back when this happened, uh, the, the debunkers were fond of saying, well, even if there is life somewhere else in the universe, they could never find us. We'd be like a grain of sand on the far side of the earth. You'd never find that one grain. They mm-hmm. would never find us. But on the contrary, from here, with our, relatively speaking, uh, primitive technology, you know, the Hubble mm-hmm. uh, telescope, Kepler telescope, you bet. So looking out into the universe, um, the estimations of the number of uh, habitable planets has grown enormously. You know, the old uh, Drake equation, you know, they didn't even know back then if every star had any planet, let alone the conclusion that uh, NASA recently announced mm-hmm. is that it's a virtual certainty now that uh, just about every star has about a dozen planets. Yes. So the number of habitable planets in the universe is just vastly greater than anybody ever estimated before. And Michio Kaku was saying, you know, people keep estim- uh, you know, assuming that these civilizations would be maybe a few hundred years ahead of us, but based on the age of these star systems, they could be literally millions of years ahead of us. Of course. So for for these you know know it alls to I say well that's impossible this can they can't get there that fast or something of that nature is really presumptuous and arrogant and, and uh, absurd. You know, Travis, I got to thank you for doing this because it's obviously this is in your blood. This is your story. But listen, what was an ordinary day was no ordinary day. And going back to that day of November fifth, nineteen seventy five, I know I was back in New Jersey. You were there. Obviously, Arizona is a great place, and people who don't know, this is a lot of open territory, folks. This is pretty desolate where this happened. It's not where you drive down to the nearest shopping mall down the road. This is a much, and back then, obviously, Travis, even more rural. I mean, the encroachment has come, and some of it can't because of the forest. But my point is this. As Tacitus said, and I quote again from your book, going through this experience, even the bravest are frightened by sudden terrors. Hey, folks, here's a man. You know, this guy's a full guy. He's a hunter. He's done so much. He's been out in the woods. I don't think you frightened too easily on normal circumstances, but you defended yourself. But the more important thing is to keep an open mind about what lies out there beyond this great cosmos. And as an astronomer, my background, of course, isn't as important as your story, but I think we both are brothers in this story, that the universe is literally teeming, as you described before, back in 1991, 1995, to be more precise, the first of the exoplanetary systems, 51 Pegasi, was discovered having a planetary system. I believe, Travis, very strongly that the universe is populated. But one last question before we go. Some have speculated that this could be some sort of dimensional transport where actually what you saw was the future species of our own human race 
maybe hundreds of thousands of years into the future. What say you? Is that a plausible idea? Well, I'm open to all these kinds of theories. Who knows? You know, I, I think that it's possible with our limited understanding of physics that that space travel may not be by Newtonian mechanics, that there may be some it. sort of interdimensional sort of a thing involved in, in travel. Absolutely, Travis. We'll have to leave it there. Travis Walton, ladies and gentlemen. One, if you believe the story, and I hope you have an open mind, one of very few people on the planet Earth that has had an experience like this, and there are so many others that are documented, but let me go back to the premise of the interview. Fire in the Sky, the Walton Experience, the best documented case of alien abduction ever recorded. Find his book on Amazon, wherever good books are sold, and link with us at drsky.com, and of course, our Teen Talk Network radio show, the entire listing here of links to his website. Travis, if you stand well, by Amazon's with us. Amazon's not the place. My website's the best place to get it. Oh. Com. All right, brother. Then let me have you say that one more time because I was the doing only, the, the promotion. The only thing you got on Amazon are used copies or pirates maybe, but uh, yes, sir. Uh, they're only available from TravisWalton.com. All right, then. I'm glad you qualified that. But stand by and stay with us as we go to the hard break here. I'm Dr. Sky, reminding everyone, and I'm sure Travis Walton would wholeheartedly agree with great guests from the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, and weather, and celebrity guests. Right, Travis? Always remember to keep your eyes through the skies. Yep. And thank you, Travis Walton.